The Defense Department spends more than any other department on developing artificial intelligence. During the past year, it stood up its highly visible Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. But officials working behind the scenes say most of their day-to-day work focuses on the unglamorous work of getting their people and their business processes ready for this emerging technology. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. There's a lot of hype about what AI can do for government. Pilots within agencies hold the promise of making human employees work faster and smarter. And on the flip side, there are concerns that it could one day replace some of those federal workers. The Defense Department has been pushing the envelope of what AI can do to support the warfighter. But to really get the ball rolling, there's been so much people and process stuff that DOD needs to address first. Timothy Van Name is the deputy director of the Defense Digital Service. At a recent AFCA DC summit, he said some of the cool projects he gets to work on are really just the tip of the iceberg. And there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than you might expect. I think we often get characterized right in this like cool kids mantra of we show up and we get to do all the fun work. But today, about 90% of our time on any given effort is spent doing all of the the really hard crawling through the muck, right? Understanding, munging, working through data that's in a ridiculous arcane structure, right? Working through a code base that hasn't been updated since the 80s, right? Like most of the time what we're doing today is the really uninteresting things. The part we talk about because it's interesting and fun and everybody wants to be on the panel talking about innovation is the cool 10% we get to do. Peter Ranks is DOD's Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise. He said too much of the focus has fallen on adopting new tools and not enough on using those tools to tackle fundamental challenges like making sense of the agency's vast trove of data. If you're thinking only about the technology and not about how it's going to deliver outcomes in the government, you're not bringing us the whole solution. And cyber products and data analytic products are my worst offenders in this space now. They're just great sets of tools, but sooner or later I have to get to an analyst who's going to be able to integrate all of this data together. And we have right now a a surplus of data collection for cyber work, but a shortage of analysts who can actually make sense of all that data. Ranks said DOD needs vendors to look beyond applications for emerging tech. Instead, they need to come together to better understand how those tools will help DOD meet its mission. Steve Dennis is the technical director for the Homeland Security Advanced Research Projects Agency. He provides research for DHS's Science and Technology Directorate. He runs a lab that looks at everything from counterterrorism to protecting critical infrastructure. But Dennis says there's one thing that all these missions have in common. All of those missions all share the same needs for data analytics in order to advance their cause. And so we have a very interesting perspective on the department and its needs, uh, but we also get a chance to look at a lot of emerging technologies and how they actually match up against the mission. So uh, we're able to take bleeding technologies, maybe things that aren't ready to come out of the box, and try them against DHS mission sets, provide insight. AI can play a big role in data analytics going forward, but Dennis says good AI depends on how well you structure the data. We're very concerned about the future of real-time analytics and what that means for not just the end user, but also the computational complex. And multi-party computation is a big deal. We don't think that in the future everyone will own their own data. They won't have complete access to some kind of data lake that they created. In order to get a usable result, you're going to have to share information, Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to do that securely. You're going to have to have access to only the things you're supposed to have access to. So how we get there is, uh, is really important. DHS recently partnered with the University of California, Berkeley, on a project for low-latency predictions with AI. Here, Dennis gives an overview of what that project looked like. You know, how do you move predictions where they need to be at the right amount of time with low latency? And you can imagine trying to do that kind of an operation in the midst of a 
natural disaster or some other you know, compelling problem that you're facing. How do you make sense out of the data? How do you understand what confidence you should be placing in the kinds of analytics that you're getting? Mm-hmm. And what is the system even doing? Right? Yeah. You know, am I going to sit in front of a screen watching circles go around and I've got two minutes to make a decision and, you know, I don't even know where the machine is. What is it doing? What does it even have access to? Should I even be waiting for this? Right? Or can I negotiate with it? Right? So, uh, you know, can I say, all right, if, if you give me another minute, the machine's letting me know. If you give me another minute, I'm going to have something. So, getting some more transparency into what's happening in the man machine interaction is going to be huge. So these are very large problems. They're not small problems, but we're interested in advances that are taking place towards goals like that. And I'm not saying that we'll invent it, you know, but we want to make use of it and we want to make sure that it's at the forefront of security and our disaster response, our first response, you know, mission. But broader adoption of AI depends on building trust in the decisions those tools arrive at. And the next generation of explainable AI, despite billions of dollars in investment, is still a ways off. And it's been a longstanding challenge for Dennis and his team. About three or four years ago, we were in a position to do some very interesting risk calculations that involved a lot of automation, autonomous systems, black boxes, if you will. And we were assessing the performance of those systems and being able to correctly identify risk, which is a high consequence endeavor, right? So we did a lot of assessment, a lot of evaluation, and some of the things that you figure out, even when folks want to make the system a little bit more explicit, like using decision trees or something that could be explained, Yes. right? So there's some reason why the risk is what it is. Even in those cases, an examination of the variable space determined that there were even more models involved than anybody ever realized, right? So this data that came to me, well, where did it come from? It came from other models. And so you have this nesting of models and no one even realized, okay, wait a second. You know, I don't have just one system. I have a multitude of systems that I may not even have insight into. But these conversations about workflow also exist outside of the defense community. Giovanni Anwuchika is the director of the General Services Administration's Innovation Division when it launched its IT Schedule 70 startup springboard back in 2016. The program gives startups with less than two years of experience an alternative to Schedule 70. Anwuchika said that put hurdles in the way of experienced IT executives who left large companies to launch their own ventures. We recognized very quickly that if you had, I don't know, a Bill Gates left his company, Microsoft, right, and you had you know, some other really amazing tech executives and, and technologists leave their companies and want to start up a brand new startup, right, that startup at the time could not get on Schedule 70, right? Regardless of all the, the experience and all the, all, the, all the knowledge and all the skills and, and, and the assets that they bring, they couldn't participate with what we were doing. And so two years ago, we made the strategic decision to give them alternatives to coming on schedule, right? To give them alternatives to getting access to the marketplace through our vehicles. And so we're continually looking for ways to make it easier for the people that need to deliver the services to get access to the federal marketplace. Unlike a lot of other contract vehicles that are, you know, awarded and closed down and, you know, you can't hop on the vehicles afterwards, um, Schedule 70 is full and open. It's continuing. So at any point, any vendors can, can participate. And this has been a big push for us. Jory Heckman, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. 
Try the new Ricola Max now. Available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature.